we make every day. You can go ahead and open your Bible if you'd like to Mark chapter 6. Um, we'll be in Mark 6 again today, taking off uh, actually a bigger chunk this morning um, to get the whole account in. But as you turn there, just think of uh, choices that you make on a regular basis that are really pretty insignificant eternally. Right? Like this morning, I came out here after, well, I was, I was here kind of before everybody was, but then Jeff Beath came. And he brought donuts, and he brought those rolls that he makes, with the caramel and the pecans and stuff. And so I had a choice to make there between those two. I guess I could have chosen neither, but that's not really a good choice. Uh, and so, so I chose, between those two, I chose the roll with the caramel and the pecans on top. Now, that was a good choice for me today, but eternally, a pretty insignificant choice, right? And we make the, like I put on long sleeves today because it's one of those in-between days. But if I have a choice to either be too hot or too cold, I'm going to choose too hot, right? So I put on long sleeves. Lots of choices that we make every day. But there is a choice that, that I make and that you make throughout your lives that we've all been making that has eternal significance. And that is the choice of who or what will you worship. Who or what will you worship and fear and give your life to? You can either submit yourself to Jesus as Lord, Master, King of your life, or you can continue living as Lord, Master, Ruler, King of your own life. What uh, we're going to see this morning in Mark chapter 6 is we're going to see a pretty stark contrast between two men. One man who chose to fear God above all else, and one man who chose, chose to fear people above all else. My hope is that, that this morning, God's Word would affect us in some way. I shared with the elders uh, as they came in, just kind of this picture. We're going to see this um, played out here in, in the passage today. But it was, I was reminded, when I came in this morning, it was still dark, and so there was frost uh, on the ground and on the roof. And you've seen kind of how our roof is structured. Um, so it just kind of sits there. Um, but... Uh, and there's no like gutter to cut anything. It all just kind of comes off the edge, right? Well, it was all frost and kind of icy, uh, a little bit of frost, probably a better word, when I came in this morning. But as the sun came up and the sun began to melt that, it just began pouring. It looked like it was raining outside of my window. It just all of a sudden melted and it all just came down. One of the sayings that the old Puritans used was this saying, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. That's true, right? The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. Every time that we get to hear God's Word, we get to hear the Word of God, and we're, we hear it, one thing that it can do is it can come and it can melt our hearts so that we are softened to it and we want to obey it. The other thing it can do, as we hear it time and time again, it's like the sun beating on clay. And we hear it more and more and we resist it more and more and stand against it more and more and disobey it more and more, it can harden our hearts. We certainly don't want that to happen. And so uh, before we even read the passage, let's pray together. God, would you come and do that with the light of your Son, with the light of your Word, by the work of your Holy Spirit in this place this morning, would you accomplish that which I cannot accomplish and none of us can accomplish on our own? And that is that, that would you come and would you melt our hardened hearts? We don't want to, to hear the word again only to leave and be unaffected by it. 
We want the Word to affect us this morning. We want it to come and not harden our hearts, but to soften them, that we might melt before you in awe of who you are as we worship you with the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Mark 6. We're going to look at verses 14 to 29. If you're able to stand, let's stand as we read God's Word this morning. Mark 6, starting in verse 14. Now King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. And some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he's Elijah. And others said, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted him put to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came. When Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask for me whatever you wish and I'll give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came, took his body, and laid it in a tomb. You can be seated. So last week, we looked at verses 7 through 13, right? And we saw Jesus sending out his disciples. Two by two, he sent them out, right, with a mission to proclaim that people everywhere should repent. And as they did that, they were also healing people and casting out demons. And you might wonder, if you look, actually skip ahead, look at Mark chapter 6, verse 30. So the disciples are sent out, they're doing their work. Verse 30 says, Mark 6, 30 says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Now it seems like there's an interruption here. It seems like verse 30 should be verse 14, right? Doesn't it? I mean, he tells us the story of the disciples and what they went to do, and then verse 30 says, And then they returned and told Jesus what they had done. Well, why does Mark insert this story about John the Baptist, about something that had already happened to John the Baptist? Why does he put it here? We've seen this happen a couple of times in Mark. It's a a technique that Mark uses in his writing as inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's what scholars call a Markan sandwich. Okay? It's a, it's a, it's a sandwich. He, what he's doing is, is if you look a little closer, when he does this, he's doing it on purpose. It's not like he just, oh, I forgot about this. So he throws it in there um, and then goes back to the story at hand. He puts it in there on purpose. 
the reason that this story is inserted right here, it seems, is that Mark wants to display to people, here's what it costs to be a disciple. Jesus sends out the disciples, and before the disciples return, he's letting them know, here's what happened to John the Baptist. This is what it could look like for you. That's maybe one of the reasons, but the other reason that we get for sure is in verses 14 to 16. So let's look at verses 14 to 16. Starts out in verse 14 by introducing us to someone named King Herod. It says, King Herod heard of it. Now who's King Herod? This can be confusing. As you read the New Testament, there's four different guys named Herod. Okay, this is, this is one of them. Uh, he was a ruler of a quarter of the kingdom of Palestine. His dad, Herod the Great, okay, that's why it's confusing because they all have the same name, but his dad, Herod the Great, when he died, he passed off his kingdom. He split it up four ways between four of his sons. Herod Antipas is this one, and Herod Antipas got part of the kingdom. And so he rules from 4 B.C. to A.D. 39. Some people called him a tetrarch, some people called him a king, but he has part of the kingdom. The other thing that he does not have, though, Herod, is he does not have a great understanding of who Jesus is. He doesn't have a proper or right understanding of who Jesus is. So, as the rumors about who Jesus is begin to spread, he hears a number of different things. It says, some say he's John the Baptist raised from the dead. That's why he can do miracles. Others say, oh, he's Elijah. Others say he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. So people's ideas about who Jesus is all over the place. Kind of sounds like our culture today. People's ideas of who Jesus is all over the place. And Herod's confused. What he thinks is this, verse 16. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. He thinks, this was a kind of a popular kind of understanding, that, that if you did something bad maybe to somebody, there was always this kind of sense that this person might come back and haunt us in some way. Okay? We, you'll hear about that even around Halloween now in our country, right? Same kind of thing that Herod was fearing at this time. Kind of this fear that, uh-oh, remember when I had John beheaded? He feels a little guilty about that. Maybe that's who this is. Maybe Jesus, who's doing this miraculous stuff, maybe he's just John the Baptist, come back from the dead. And then, that's why we have this story of John the Baptist. Because really, we hadn't heard anything about John since chapter 1. So we don't know how things ended for John. We don't get that until we get here to Mark. We get to Mark chapter 6, we finally find out whatever came of John the Baptist. Here's what we know about John the Baptist from chapter 1. It wasn't an extensive uh, kind of introduction, but if you looked at Mark 1, 1 through 9, you'd find out that we know this about Mark, that Mark knew who Jesus was. He had a good understanding, as good as possible at that time, of the identity of who Jesus was. He knew that Jesus was the one for whom he was preparing the way. So he had been sent to prepare the way for Jesus to come, and he knew who Jesus was, because he said in verse 7, And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Okay? See, Jesus is coming. He's more important than me. A lot of people were following John, but he says, there's another one coming. So that's about all we know about John the Baptist so far. He went about preaching a message of repentance. That's what he did. And he pointed people to Jesus. 
we're going to look this morning at two different men. Uh, there's a lot of characters in this story, but we're going to re- really focus on two different men. One, John. He chose uh, the better option, and that option was to fear and worship God. My hope, my desire for all of us is that we would want to be like John. The other option is to be like Herod. His choice was to fear and worship people. That's really what he feared and worshipped. And I don't want us to be like Herod. Let's look at John, though. We're going to kind of hop around so that we can look at just especially what John was all about. That was the introduction we had to him in John chapter 1. But then we find out in verse 18. Go ahead and look at verse 18. What we're going to find out in verse 18 is that John was a bold truth teller. I want our church to be, church, to be a church filled with bold truth tellers. I want to be a guy known as a bold truth teller. That's what John was. Look at verse 18. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful lost my place. It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Okay? So John, preaching this message of repentance, calling people out on their sin, comes up to the king. And he's coming to the king. Like, think about this. John is not telling a little kid, hey, you've got to share your toys. He's coming up to the king. And I don't know if he had changed his wardrobe yet at this point, but if he hadn't, remember what he used to wear? This is a guy coming in smelling like wilderness and river scum, wearing a, a dead camel on him, and, uh, and probably, you know, got like a locust leg right here in his tooth and honey drippings in his beard, if he hasn't changed. And he's coming before the king. This guy is bold. He's coming before the king, and he's telling the king the truth. And the truth is not pretty for the king. He's telling the king, king, you're a sinner. See, what had happened was, if you look at uh, Herodias, was um, the king's wife. But he wasn't initially the king's wife. She was initially the king's brother's wife. But the king wanted his brother's wife, and so he got his brother's wife. And John the Baptist is looking at that, and he says, most of us would say this you know, to each other when we gossip with each other, oh, that's not right. They shouldn't do that. But John doesn't gossip. John goes right to the king himself and tells the king, "Uh uh-uh, you shouldn't be doing this. Right? That's verse 18. For John had been saying to Herod, now, had been saying, uh, the tense of that, like he didn't just tell him at one time. (laughs) He had been saying this. This kept going on. It's like, hey, I got a new message for you today, Herod. Uh, You're a sinner. You're a sinner. Uh, What you're doing, not right. Um, And so, John continues to preach that message boldly to the king. He tells him the truth. Verses 19 and 20 show us that John feared God and not man. Herodias had a grudge against him, okay, and wanted him put to death. Could she have done that? Could Herod have had him put to death? Herod could have, for sure. I don't know about Herodias, but that's what she wanted. (laughs) It's like, hey, you're talking about me too. When you tell the king that he's sinning, you're talking about me. You're, tell, you're calling me a sinner, John? Who are you? I'm the king's wife. Who are you to call me a sinner? I want him put to death, she says. But she could not, for Herod feared John. Okay, this is the first time we see Herod fearing something, and it's a person. He feared John 
knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and so he kept him safe. Okay? We're going to look at the last part of verse 19 or verse 20 a little bit later. We'd like to think that if John is being a bold truth teller, that's what God wants us to be. What do you think would be the reward for, for doing what God wants you to do? God wants you to be a bold truth teller. What's the reward that you're going to get for that? Don't you think God should look at somebody who's being obedient to Him, even doing a hard thing for Him? And shouldn't God look at that person and reward them in some way? Look at verse 17. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him up in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. Here we see Herod's fear again. He's fearing this time his wife. And because of that, he locks John up. John is obedient to do what God's called him to do. He's a bold truth teller. And what does he get for it? He gets locked up. Verse 27 gets worse. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And then eventually he gets his body buried in a tomb. That's what he gets. Want to be like John? Want to be a bold truth teller? You want to fear God and not man? That's how it ended for John. He got his head cut off after being locked up. I want you to turn really quickly just a couple chapters ahead to Mark chapter 8. We'll get to this. It'll probably be a year or something until we get here. But Mark chapter 8, look at verse 34. Listen to this. And calling the crowd to Him. This is Mark eight thirty-four. And calling the crowd to Him with His disciples, He said to them, If anyone would come after Me, this is Jesus talking, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for My sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of Me and of My words... In this adulterous and sinful generation of Him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. Good news is Jesus will not be ashamed of John when He comes in all of His glory because John was not ashamed of Jesus in the midst of an adulterous and sinful generation. He was willing to stand and be a bold truth teller. John denied himself taking up his cross. He could have sought to save his own life, right? He could have done that. All he had to do was keep his mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut you'd probably be fine, John. But he who seeks to save his life will lose it. But whoever will give his life will lose his life for my sake and the sake of the Gospel will find it. And that's exactly what happened to John the Baptist. He was willing to be obedient to the God to the point that it caused him to lose his life. But in losing his life for the sake of the Gospel, he found it. He had life that was truly life. I want to be like John. I feel like I have a healthy reverence and fear of God, being in awe of His glory and holiness, but I want more of that. I find it pretty easy myself to be a bold truth teller when I have a wireless mic on or when I'm sitting with somebody in my office. 
Because they want to hear it. That's why they're in my office or that's why they're here. And I can be a bold truth teller to them. But you want I want to grow? I want to grow in my desire to be a bold truth teller to people who probably don't want to hear it. The people who might be offended by the truth. Like Herod was. Like Herod's wife was. I want to be more like John in that way. It's easy for us to fear people. We'd like to think that we have this great, awesome fear of God, and so it doesn't matter what people think. But if we're honest, it matters to us a lot what people think. That's what holds us back. It costs us something to tell the whole truth like John did. We talked about in Sunday school a little bit ago that it's hard in our culture to call sin, sin. That, that, that it's, it's hard for us to call sin what it is. We don't like to call sin, sin. That costs us something if we do that in other people's lives. Listen, when the perception in our whole culture is that the culture is finally waking up to embrace homosexuality, and if we as a church would stand up and boldly say, tell the truth, it might cost us something. When the rest of the culture just readily embraces premarital sex, and we as a church stand up and tell the truth, that costs us something. We get called bigots or, or whatever else. If we would say, hey, we love and welcome all homosexual and heterosexual sinners, but well, we will be also very clear in telling them that their sin is sin. When we see sin, we call it sin. That might cost us something. We lose some respect. We lose some credibility. We maybe even lose some partnerships of some sort with somebody. But a lot of times we're more concerned about gaining the approval of the world than we are of saying what is the truth. And this doesn't just happen on that scale. This happens with the more respectable sins as well. That how often do we have the guts to look when somebody else, one of our brothers and sisters in Christ, is talking to us? They're talking to us, and we know that what they're saying is either just slander or gossip. And how many times do we stop them and say, I don't want to hear it, that's gossip. That's sinful, please stop. We usually just kind of listen in, let it happen. I want us to be a church filled with bold truth-tellers. We want to be sensitive, sure. We want to be loving, sure. We also need to be church, a church that boldly tells the truth, much like John. Most of this passage actually focuses on Herod. So I want to focus there. Uh, Now, look at Herod. We're going to spend most of this time um, looking at uh, Herod's response to the Word. John allowed his life to be ruled by this reverential fear of God. Submission to Him. But Herod, we're going to see, allowed his life to be ruled by this fear of people that he had. Herod craved the approval of other people. That was his idol, and he would be willing to lay down anything on that altar to worship that idol. That is the idol of the approval of other people. That's what Herod wanted above everything else. He wanted people to like him. We're going to see some of the ugly consequences of that. So, let's go ahead and take a look at verse, well, verse 18 we already looked at, or verse 17. He has John seized, bound, and put in prison. Okay, that's the first result that we see. Herod's fear of John and recognition of his holiness and righteousness actually caused him to keep him safe. But look at the end of verse 20. We skipped over this before. 
Look at the end of verse 20. This seems really hopeful. Because we know like Herod's a bad guy. But look at the end of verse 20. When he heard him, this is speaking of Herod listening to John. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. And yet he heard him gladly. He liked to hear John preaching to him. He liked to hear the preaching of the truth. He liked it. He heard him very gladly. He didn't quite get it. He's like, the whole time you can kind of get it, like he's maybe got this weird smile on his face and one eyebrow up in the air. You know, it's like, okay. Like, you know, John's just teaching him, like, hey, repent. You're a sinner. What you're doing with your brother's wife, that's not right. And he's just kind of like, all right. You know, like, like he kind of likes it. And I don't think we're uh, that different, really, um, from Herod in a lot of ways. I think a lot of times we can enjoy, like we've got a conscience, right? And there's a lot of people that can sit in a church week after week knowing that, okay, I know I need to hear this. I, I, know, I know I need to hear this in some way, right? This, this is good. This is good for me. I need to be here. I need to hear this. But really, there's not any way that the Word affects you once you're out of here. That like you hear the Word preached and you know you need to hear the Word preached. You know you need to hear the truth. But it kind of perplexes you. You don't submit to it. You don't obey it. He didn't, Herod didn't say, okay, you're right. I'm done with this sin in my life. That's not what he said. He just kept listening. Okay. Okay. Yeah, hey, do that one again. Remember that one where you tell me I'm a sinner? Do that one again. Tell me that. He just keeps hearing it. And he hears the word over and over and over again with no response. His heart is being hardened. He craves the approval of other people. Look at verse 21. An opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet. And who did he invite? His nobles, military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. Herod likes to impress people. He wants the approval of other people. And he wants the approval of important people. So he finds it's his birthday. He's like, all right, I'm going to throw me a really good birthday party. I'm going to invite all of the impressive people in society, and I'm going to impress them. I'm going to impress the impressive people. Invite them to my party. It's time. Let's do this. Okay? So he's going to, he's going to get his partying on so he can impress these people. In verse 22, ought to disgust us. Look at verse 22. We see how this wife-stealing, people-fearing man slides a little bit further down sin's spiral. He'd already kind of repressed his conscience a little bit. His conscience told him, there's something that John's saying that's right. But when his conscience was saying, there's something in that preaching that's right, he kind of set his conscience aside and just didn't deal with it. He kept doing what he was doing. And then we get to verse 22. He slides a little bit further down, quite a bit further down. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, by the way, it's not ballet, she pleased Herod and his guests. When she came in, she came in to do this dance. You know who this is. This is Herod's stepdaughter, right? Comes in to do this dance. Normally the dances at a gathering like this would be done by the court prostitutes. 
But there was a special treat because Herod liked impressing people. And so for the special treat on this occasion, rather than bringing in a court prostitute to do a dance for the men that he was trying to impress, he brings in his own stepdaughter. And these men, drunk and drooling, are lusting after this girl. And the disgusting part, if that's not disgusting enough already, is that it says here in verse 21, verse 22, for when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. We look at that and we say, Herod, how did you get there? How did you get to the point where your sin is that ugly? That's the way of sin, by the way. Seems pretty subtle and harmless at first. I mean, hey, we're not perfect. We make some mistakes. We come and listen to the Word. We like coming to church, right? Might not do everything we're supposed to, but we like coming. Pretty soon, sin takes you further than you ever thought you'd go. We're more like Herod than we want to be. Herod's not done trying to impress people. Verses 22 and 23, then, we see what he does. And the king said to the girl, Ask for me whatever you wish, and I'll give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I'll give you, even up to half my kingdom. He's going to impress his guests by saying, Okay, that was really good, that dance that you did. I'll give you whatever you want. Trying to look rich and generous in front of his guests, right? He's surrounding himself with men who don't even call sin, sin men, if you can call them that. More like a bunch of boys, right? having their little party. They're not going to call his sin, sin. They're going to watch him reward it. Now the stage stage is set for Herod to take a slide a bit further down. Look at verses 24 and 25. She went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. This is probably the plan all along by Herodias. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me the head at once of John the Baptist on a platter. I don't know if her mom said that or if she just added it. She wants the head on a platter. Herod's wife's plan worked. She could now act on her grudge against John the Baptist. Remember, she didn't like him because he was telling the truth and it implicated her and she didn't like him. She wanted him dead and now she sees the opportunity because you know why? She knows her husband's idol. She knows her husband will do anything to win the approval of other people. And so she's got him caught, right? He's not going to back down on his promise in front of all these people. These are impressive people, and I know my husband well enough to know that he's going to do whatever I ask him, because he doesn't want to look stupid in front of all of his friends. And so she sends the daughter in, he does it. Look at verse 26. This is sad. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yeah, he's still got a conscience. His conscience isn't gone. It's still there. He set it aside earlier when he heard the word from John and he decided not to obey it. He set aside his conscience when he had his stepdaughter come in and do a dance. He just keeps pushing it aside. He knows it's wrong, but he does it anyway. But now he knows this is wrong, right? And it says he was extremely sorry, exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. What's Herod's God? He's going to push away his conscience again. He's going to take his conscience and just bury it a little bit deeper. I know I shouldn't be going here, but my God is what other people think. And because of his guests and his oath to them, he will not break his vow and he will have somebody murdered 
for the sake of winning the approval of those other people. His conscience just continues to get buried over and over again. I want you to turn to Luke 23. Are you aware, church, as we turn there, are you aware of the consequences of giving in to sin? You've been there before? Where, where you look at sin and you don't call sin, sin. You don't see it for as ugly as it really is. And so you kind of just take one step. And then you take one more step. And then you take another step. And pretty soon, you're in a place that you never thought you would be. Right? You're in a place you never thought you would be. It's been said before, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Right? Sin will always take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. We don't deal with our sin, it just keeps growing and festering and getting worse and worse. This is the end of Mark's life, or sorry, the end of uh, John's life we see in the Gospel of Mark, right? His head is off, his life on earth is done, but Herod continues to live, and we see him again in Luke 23. I want you to look at Luke 23, starting in verse 8. Look at as Herod continues to go down this downward spiral. Verse 8, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. We wonder, oh, maybe something's turned around, right? He was glad to see Jesus, for he had long desired to see him. Listen why, though. Because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. At this point in his life, Herod just wants to be entertained by Jesus. Hey, do one of those things you do, Jesus. I want to see something cool. Show me a miracle. Then maybe I'll believe. Do do something. Look at verse 9. So he questioned him at some length. This is Herod questioning Jesus. But listen to this. But he made no answer. Imagine that. Jesus standing before Herod. And Jesus doesn't say to Herod, Herod, there's still time. Please repent now. Herod, turn away from your wicked ways. Jesus says nothing to Herod. Verse 10, the chief priests and the scribes stood by, also vehemently accusing him. And verse 11, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And then verse 12 is just ugly. And Herod, and Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. Herod continued to worship his God of the approval of other people. He came face to face with Jesus himself. And he didn't repent. Instead, he treated Jesus with contempt and mocked him. And in the process, he got what he really wanted. He made a new friend. He and Pilate became friends instead. Church, I think we have to be aware that we are much more like Herod than we would like to think. I don't want to end up like Herod. I don't want anybody in here to end up like Herod, who when you have the opportunity, Jesus standing before you. Now, now we don't get this opportunity. Herod got a great opportunity here. We won't get the opportunity of facing Jesus. When we face Jesus, our judgment uh, will be final, right? 
Our chance to repent and turn away from our, our worship of anything but Him is now. Today is the day that we must make that choice. We also have a choice of two ways to live. We can live like John or we can live like Herod. When I share the gospel with people, um, one thing that I often use is this little booklet called Two Ways to Live. Uh, if you want to go ahead and put that up there, uh, Delaney, there's two ways, and this is how it kind of lays it out at the end. One way to live is this. We can live our way. Here's one choice. Everybody in here today has this choice. You can live your way, where you're your own boss. You're your own king. You're your own ruler. You do what you want to do. That's, that's an option for you. Try to run life your own way. Here's the result of that option, though. The result is that you will be condemned by God and face death and judgment. That's an option. Second option is this. God's way is this, that we would submit to Jesus as our ruler and rely on His death and resurrection. The result of choosing that way is that we will be forgiven by God and given eternal life. It's really pretty simple. John 3.36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Some of you need to make this choice for the first time today. You need to recognize that the path you're on, you're just living your own way. Maybe Jesus is a part of your life. He's like, you come here and you're like Herod. Oh, I like coming to church. I like hearing the Word. But you leave and it's, you're totally unaffected by it. You have a choice with what to do with your sin. And you choose to just continue to live in it. Let it be your master rather than submitting to Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you want to make that choice today, you want to be born again, you want to be saved, you want to hand control of your life over to Jesus, then stick around and talk to me, please. Have the boldness and courage to do that. Some of us, though, have made that choice. A lot of us in here, I know, have made that choice. We have submitted ourselves to Jesus as Lord and Savior. But here's what we need from this message today. That a lot of us mess around with sin. We just mess around with it, thinking it's not as big of a deal as it actually is. We're a lot like Herod. More like Herod than we'd like to admit. And maybe your sin has taken you to a spot that you never thought you'd be. I never thought I'd be here, right? Today you recognize that you don't want to be like Herod, hopefully. You don't want to live any longer in denial. You don't want to harden your heart to the truth any longer. You don't want to keep sliding down further than you thought you'd go, staying longer than you thought you'd have to stay, and paying more than you thought you'd have to pay. Your response to sin now, whether you choose to either confess it and fall at the mercy of Jesus, or stuff it and by your own willpower try and deal with it in some way? The choice you make with what to do with your sin now affects your eternity. Your present and your future response to Jesus depends on what you want to do with your sin. Do you want to hold on to it and deal with it yourself? Or do you realize that it's bad and ugly and you cannot deal with it yourself? And you don't want it anymore. And so you can lay all of it on Jesus. And He takes 
all of your sin, pays it in full. Past, present, future. Paid for it all so that you might have life. Or you can be like Herod, who just moves along step by step to the place in which he finally rejects Jesus as king, and he mocks him, treating him with contempt. I'm going to close with just reading three verses out of 1 John 1. 1 John 1 says this, starting in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is good news. If we say, though, we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. You hear that? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. You think you got control of your sin problem or you don't even have a sin problem? You're deceived and the truth is not in you. If you say you have not sinned, you make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. But, If we see our sin and we hate our sin and we want to turn away from our sin and trust in Jesus, if we confess our sins, we know, we hold on to this hope that He is faithful and just and He will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a great hope that we hold on to. 